It is nice to have power this morning. I enjoy the great outdoors, but it's nice to be in here. His name was Viktor Frankl, and he was an Austrian psychiatrist of the past century. Uh, he received his Ph.D. from the University of Vienna in Austria in 1924. But his real education began in 1942, because being Jewish, he, along with his parents, his wife, and his sister were transported to a Nazi concentration camp, where for three years, the psychiatrist, the Ph.D., watched suffering to the extreme. And for those years that he spent where his parents died and his wife died and his sister, he was the only survivor of his family, he watched and suffered along men to a degree that is unimaginable. And he learned. I'll make a few of the observations that he learned as a psychiatrist in a Nazi concentration camp. Uh, He wrote a book under several titles. Eventually, it would be Man's Search for Meaning, which uh, sold millions, and I would recommend the reading of it. Half of it is his chronicled account of what it was like to be in those camps and suffer at the hands of barbaric Nazis. Uh, The other half of the book is a book about psychology, uh, and this man wasn't a Christian, not a believer, Died in 1997, for all accounts, probably not a Christian. But his observations were fascinating and worth the read. Um, He noticed that the men who endured suffering the best and who made it through the difficulty of heartache and amazing horror were those men who could find within their suffering some meaning no matter how small, some purpose to it all. Those who could not didn't last long in those concentration camps. There was one observation that he made. He espoused in his second part of Man's Search for Meeting an interesting therapy called Logos Therapy. Logos Therapy. The basic premise of Logos Therapy was that the Logos is greater than logic. The Logos being the Word. The basic therapy ran this. As he talked to suffering patients who'd gone through difficult times or had psychiatric problems, if he could pinpoint within those sufferings some meaning for it and purpose, by that Word that he would give, the logic would be overrun and the heart would be told there's something greater in the suffering and people were improved by that. But where he would use a small L, we would use a capital L in the word logos. Our logos therapy, if you will, is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And where he would refer as a psychiatrist to the super meaning, we would refer to in my father's house are many mansions. I go 
to prepare a place for you. You cannot control much of the suffering of this life, either just because you're alive or because you're a Christian. But you can believe in the great Logos, the one who does all things well, who has a purpose and meaning that you may discover in this life, or you, you may not, but you know that this is not the end of the path. There is a greater, greater purpose in it all. So go with me to John chapter 14, John chapter 14, and let's get a little Logos therapy this morning. Some of you look like you're in need of therapy this morning as you've come. We all are in need of therapy, by the way. And we need the Logos of God, do we not? To, to tell our hearts certain things, to override our logic. If you allow your logic and reason to run your life, you will be in great trouble. But there is one who is greater than our hearts, and he is the one to believe in. Notice in John chapter 14, skim up to chapter 13, and we want to preface this by saying that when Jesus said in verse 33, little children, a little while, a little while I am with you. And just as I said to the Jews, now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. At that point, that statement so stuck in Peter's mind that he didn't hear anything after it. You ever been in those conversations where somebody said something and that statement sent you into orbit and they could have, they could have said the Gettysburg Address afterward. You've never heard a word of it. So it humors me in verse 34 when he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. If you were to pull Peter aside and said, Tell me about loving one another, he wouldn't have known what you were talking about because all he heard was, I'm going away. You can't come with me. Now I know that because in verse 36 he says, Lord, where are you going? Not, Lord, show me how to love Bartholomew because I'm having a hard time. He doesn't say that. He doesn't inquire about the whole new commandment of loving one another. He wants to know, where are you going? Right there, Peter is thinking about how Jesus affects him. Watch this. We come into the Christian life thinking, what's it going to do for me? How is God going to affect my life? Making it rosy and beautiful and wonderful doesn't take long before Cinderella crashes down and we don't have the Cinderella life that we wanted. We want to know, Lord, where are you? Where are you going? Notice he says, where I'm going, you can't follow. Well, that aggravates him all the more. And in verse 37, Lord, why can't I follow you now? Notice the I word again. I will lay down my life for you. Pretty impressive, huh? And I think he meant it. I think he meant every word of it. He was loyal to Christ. He loved Christ. He said, I, I, will, I will lay down my life for you. That's the best any of us can offer Jesus. Is our promises, and notice where our promises of how much we're going to do for God, notice how far Jesus lets that run. He says, oh, really? You'll lay down your life for me? Truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. There it is. 
I've made a lot of commitments in my 30-some year, almost 40 years of knowing Christ. I've made an awful lot of things where I told God what I was going to do for him. And you know how many I've fulfilled? <laughs> I've denied him and denied him and denied him because that's all I can offer out of my own self and abilities. Christianity is not about what you can do for God. It's about what he has already done for you, and it's about how you receive that all by faith, and he works in and through you. So Peter's, make all the promises you want, and then let that rooster crow, and you'll find out exactly where you are in all those promises. Okay? So they got a problem in chapter 14, verse 1. They're all downtrodden. They're all discouraged. He's leaving. They don't know where he's going. The big head Peter is just, you know, can you imagine Peter? Peter's right now, he's dizzy. He's dizzy. He backs off in the corner. You don't hear from Peter, which is an unusual occasion. You don't hear from Peter till chapter 17. For three chapters, he's quiet. He's licking his wounds off in the corner, trying to figure out how this is not going to happen. And it's going to happen. So anyway, Jesus in chapter 14, verse 1 says this. Let not your heart be troubled. Pull yourself out of yourself. Look back at yourself and say, Self, don't allow yourself to be troubled. The Greek word means to be agitated, stirred. Like a ship on the water being beat with the waves, just flying all over the place. At the mercy of the wind, aggravated, agitated. Say no to that. But I, I, where psychiatry and psychology ends at this point, Jesus said, I'll give you a bona fide reason why you're not to be troubled. Look at it with me. Notice. Believe in God. Believe in God. It's an imperative statement. Now he's talking to Jews who give their entire life to believing in God. And we can say it a lot until it all falls apart and the Savior is nowhere to be found. We have great faith in God until we get a hangnail. And then where's all that faith? Jesus says, believe in God. And notice he said, and believe also in me. Now watch this. He did not say, believe in God and believe what I say about God. There is a difference between saying you're going to believe in someone and saying you're going to believe someone. If I were to come up to you on the street and I were to say, I want to ask you a question. I want you to, I'm going to ask you to do something. I want you to believe me. You would naturally say what? What would you like me to believe? Make a statement. Make a position. Give me something to grab onto. But if I were to come to you on the street and say, believe in me, then at that point, no matter what I said, you would believe because you made a choice to believe in me as a person versus something I might say at a given time. Jesus said, believe in God, no matter what happens. And he said, believe in me. 
This is a strong statement. Listen to it carefully. A strong statement of the deity of Jesus Christ. He is claiming at this point to be God in the flesh. Believe in God. In the same faith, believe in me. Notice what he says beyond that in verse 2. In my Father's house are many rooms. Now I know the old King James says mansions. And I know we've all dreamed about that mansion. If you want to dream about your mansion, you go on and dream about that mansion. You might get one when you get there. But the room isn't mansions. It's a large, spacious room. If that bursts your bubble, I'm sorry. Uh, we used to talk, uh, Mitch, Mike, and I, we were three guys who got saved about the same time. We were the three amigos. And uh, Mitch always dreamed of a mansion in glory built out of Oreo cookies. <laughs> Mitch says, when I get there, I want my mansion made out of Oreo cookies. Big glass of milk right there at the... Uh, Mitch went to be with the Lord years and years ago, and I hope he got that mansion made out of Oreos. But the, the room right here says, the, wor- the, the word is room. In my Father's house. I want you to think with me how beautiful that is. That Jesus speaks of our destination as a house. He didn't say in my Father's field. He didn't say in my father's kingdom. He has, a fa- he has a house. I don't know about you, but when I leave today, I want to go home. Oh, yeah. I mean, you might go to a restaurant, but I guarantee you after you get down there, you're going home. You're going home because you can put that old raggedy shirt on that you like. You can put those old beat-up shorts that your wife's wanting to throw away, and you just keep digging out of the trash. You get back in that soft, comfortable, lazy boy. There ain't nobody worrying you. You get that glass of sweet tea or whatever you want to drink. And you do what you want, man. Because that's your home. And the Father has a home. That's some logos therapy, isn't it? Doesn't that stir your heart and, and calm you in the storms of life? I tell you, when you're on a you're on a, a boat out to sea or, you know, in the jetties or whatever. You've got to have an anchor. You've got to have something grabbing that rock. I, I remember fishing with John and Will Brown in the jetties, and, and uh, Will's anchor broke. I think, he, I think he tried to take off when it was still anchored. <laughs> snap! Just snap! For all practical purposes, fishing was over that day. Because you can't anchor yourself. You may bob around a little bit, but this is the anchor of our souls. Notice he goes on and says, If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I love that, don't you? I'm not sending anybody, I'm coming myself. I'm coming to get you. Wouldn't you love that? There's no train going to pull up taking you to heaven like Harry Potter. He's showing up himself in the clouds, coming to get you. You can have this old world if you want. There's a world that's coming that's going to be greater than this. And he's coming to get us. 
then it's not off in some wild, faraway place. It's closer than you really think. And guess what? There are no levels in heaven where if you're really good, you get way up there, and if you're so-so, yeah, get right there. And he said, if you're really bad, and you just sneak in by the hair of your, your chinny-chin-chin, you get right down there in the gutter. In my father's house, there's a whole lot of rooms. And every room is just as good as some other room. Because you get there by the grace of Jesus Christ and not your own efforts or plans. You get there because of what he did for you. Are, you, are we so bold as to believe that it's all of God and none of us? Absolutely. The throne of grace, it is told we are to come boldly to that throne. Do you know what boldly means? We can say anything you want to say. Boldness. We're not sneaking in under somebody else's ID card. Some of y'all know about that. You're getting in by the we're getting in by the grace of Jesus Christ. My father's house are many mansions. Go on and tell your old tired heart all about that and cheer it. My father's house are many mansions. I was encouraged last night last week by a turtle who had crossed four lanes of interstate. Yeah, I was coming on Interstate 295 off Wilson, and there was the turtle on the side of the road boogieing off that way. I thought, well, good for you, man. You just made it across four lanes of interstate as a turtle. And then I thought, well, maybe I'm being too optimistic for the turtle. Maybe he got to the end of the interstate and looked and go, no, I'm not doing that. I'm good. (laughs) I'd like to think he crossed four lanes of 295, six lanes. Sometimes you feel like a turtle in this world. You're not getting anywhere. And everything's going by so fast on the interstate, you think you're just going to get run over. But the Father has his hand on you and I. And you will make it there by the grace of God if you know Christ as your Savior. It's all him. Notice... It goes on to say, verse 4, And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? He just told him the way. See how spiritually dull we are? He says the most clear thing, and we're like, I don't know what you're talking about. He just said, look, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I will come again. But we don't know where you're going, and we don't know how to, because, watch this, Thomas was still trying to figure out what he had to do to get to where Jesus did. You don't have to figure that out. He's coming for you. That's all you need to know. I don't know where I'll be. Where will you be when he returns? I'd like to be on the back of a John Deere cutting grass. That's where I'd like to be. Where would you like to be when he returns? You can't choose that. But you know when he comes, you're going if you know him. Wouldn't you like to be in the midst of the worst day possible at work and the boss just chewed you out and you're just gone. You messed up with your wife. You just you didn't say the right thing. You get, she's, you're fixing to get clobbered. You're gone. She's still there. No, she's still going with you. <laughs> you want her to go with you. You want her to go with you. We don't have to know the way. 
We don't have to do anything to get there. Believe on Christ. He takes you. Religion will tell you a dozen different things you got to do. Boom, 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 boom. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And then in my Father's, but you're right in heaven, right there. In my Father's house are many mansions. Notice what he says, great statement. And by the way, by, by Thomas's inquiry and his, his, his sense of, I can ask this, I can ask Jesus anything. He throws this question out, and this is why we have the great statement he does in verse 6. Jesus said to him, and he says to you today, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Notice, notice the, the, the. Not a way, not a life, not a truth. The only people that get to the Father are those who go through Jesus Christ as God Almighty. What about all the sincere religions of the world? They're sincerely wrong. Only Christ and Christ of the Bible saves your soul. Then he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. I'm not sure how you get any clearer than that. If they want to call you a narrow-minded Christian, go ahead and let them call because we've got a narrow-minded Savior who said there's only one narrow way to get to the Father. And there are billions who will wake up one day. But I, the, I, I, I saw this morning on the news the leader of the Mormon church died at 92. He had quite, a, quite an abrupt ending, didn't he? Got quite an eye-opening experience yesterday, didn't he? The leader of a cult died without Christ because they don't believe in the right Jesus. A Jesus that's created, not the creator. You say, well, does that matter? Well, let me ask you this. Did you know Abraham Lincoln was a peanut farmer in Georgia that lived in 1924? Did you, excuse me, did you know that? Did you know Abraham Lincoln was a peanut farmer? He, he lived down in Fitzgerald, Georgia, raised peanuts in 1924. I know what you're thinking. What Abraham Lincoln are you talking about? Because the one I know lived, you know, back during the Civil War was president. If you don't talk about the right Jesus, you don't have the right Savior. Believe in me means that he's God Almighty. Notice, notice. Verse 7, and we're done. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Now, the Father is separate from the Son. You have in heaven the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three distinct, and yet three one. Jesus said, if you had known me, you would have fully known the Father. Because to know me is to know the Father. They are separate, and yet they are one, equally God Almighty. 
from now on you do know him and have seen him. Well, how do we see the Father? In the face of Jesus Christ. How do you know what God the Father's like? Look at Jesus Christ. They are one and the same. Distinct and yet altogether one. Okay, a couple things. We'll fly through these. Ready? Ready for a little Logos therapy? All you professional therapists out there. Tell your heart that you believe in Jesus. Tell your heart to get off this whole thing about whatever happens to me affects me. Oh, I'm just under the circumstances, I guess. What are you doing under the circumstances? Jesus lives on top of the circumstances. Tell your heart you believe in Him, in the one who is the Creator, and the one who is sovereignly brings all things to pass. He makes no mistakes with your life. Every Cinderella crashing moment you've ever had, He was in charge of. He allowed, if you will. Now, he didn't orchestrate evil, and he never does that. But God uses bad things in your life to lead you to him and the fuller expression of that life in you. You believe in that kind of Jesus who makes no mistakes with your life. It is where the logos overrides the logic. In your reasoning mind, it was wrong what happened to you. But the Logos speaks love and speaks, Jesus Christ says all things have happened and I've allowed all things for a purpose that you may not know now, you will when you get there. Number two, tell your heart what really matters is your final destination. Isn't there a movie, a series of movies about final destination? Not a rough set of movies. That wasn't their final destination. There's something beyond all those horrible moments where they kind of lost their lives in kind of twisted, weird ways. Your real final destination is the house of the Father. You know, Christians have been kingdom building for an awful lot of years, worried about America worried about the world, worried about who's going to be the next president. I could really care less, actually, because I know who's the next king. If you you got stake in this world, come on, man. There's nothing out there. We took uh, Lorelai to see, uh, oh, what's that Disney movie, Karen? Tomorrowland, Tomorrowland. Don't waste your money, don't waste your money. Tomorrowland, it's all about a bigger, more beautiful world to come, you know. And and the whole premise of the movie at the end was, if we could just find a few young minds that haven't been polluted by the ravages of this world and just give us a little hope, hope, we just need a little hope. There's no hope in this world because those young people with those fresh new ideas have a cancer within them called sin. You sound very pessimistic. I'm very optimistic. Because Jesus Christ is coming again. And that's where, my, that's where my chips lie, if you will. You old poker players, you. <laughs> Number three, tell your heart he's coming personally to receive you. Amen. Showing up, man. 
You know, just be really good Christians and make sure you do everything right and, you know, you'll get a, you'll, you'll get, a, you'll get to be the back of the bus is what you'll do. There's no back of the bus when he shows up. That's right, man. There, there, there's no, there's no, you ever been to a hotel and you're like, whatever room you pick was a bad room? I mean, you open the, you open the window and there's the dumpster. Or the top of some building with a bunch of ugly air conditioning. Oh, this is, this is going to be a nice stay. The room he has for you has an incredible view. Everybody. There's not a bad room in the house. I even think the, the, the whole thing rotates so you get a different picture every time. Tell your heart that you are so precious to him. He's preparing that place for you. Isn't, doesn't it all boil down to the love of Jesus Christ and his love for you? I read to you in closing a, a segment out of Viktor Frankl's book. And he writes this from the experience of walking from the Nazi concentration camp out to the work fields and the moment where he found at least his meaning for the suffering that he was enduring. Listen carefully. He writes, we stumbled on in the darkness over big stones and through large puddles along the one road leading from the camp. The accompanying guards kept shouting at us and driving us with the butts of their rifles. Everyone with very sore feet supported himself on his neighbor's arm. Hardly a word was spoken. The icy wind did not encourage talk. Hiding his mouth behind his upturned collar, the man marching next to me whispered suddenly, If our wives could see us now, I do hope they are better off in their camps and don't know what is happening to us. That brought thoughts to my, of my wife's to my mind. As we stumbled on for miles, slipping on icy spots, supporting each other time and again, dragging one another up and onward. Nothing was said, but we both knew each of us was thinking of his wife. Occasionally I looked up at the sky where the stars were fading and pink light of the morning was beginning to spread behind a dark bank of clouds. But my mind clung to my wife's image, imagining it with an uncanny acuteness. I heard her answering me, saw her smile, heard Frank an encouraging look. Real or not, her look was more luminous than the sun, which was beginning to rise. A thought transfixed me. For the first time in my life, I saw the truth as it was set into songs by so many poets, proclaimed as the final wisdom by so many thinkers. The truth that love is the ultimate and highest goal of which a man can aspire. Then I grasped the meaning of the greatest secret that human poetry and human thought and belief could impart. This, now, mind you, he's not a believer. He says the salvation of man is through love and in love. We would add the salvation of man is in and through the love of Jesus Christ. I understood how a man who has nothing left in this world may still know bliss if only for a brief moment in the contemplation of his beloved.
in a position of utter desolation, when man cannot express himself in positive action, when his only achievement may consist in enduring his sufferings in the right way, the honorable way, in such a person a man can, through loving contemplation of the image he carries of his beloved, achieve fulfillment. I'm going to read that again. When a man cannot express himself in positive action, when his only achievement may consist in enduring his sufferings in the right way, the honorable way, in such a position a man can, through loving contemplation of the image of his beloved, achieve fulfillment in a Nazi concentration camp. For the first time in my life, Frankel writes, I was able to understand the meaning of the words. And then he quotes a biblical reference in Psalms. The angels are lost in perpetual contemplation of an infinite glory. Isn't that beautiful? You find those moments at the darkest, deepest part of life. In my Father's house are many, many rooms. I'm going, and I'm making a place for you. And I'm coming again to get you. Tell your heart that. Every moment of aching suffering that you have. Because logos is greater than logic. Lord Jesus, we ask you to bless the preaching of your word. We ask you to to bless the proclamation of the good news of the gospel, that Jesus has come and died for our sins and on that mighty cross of redemption has redeemed us all back to God, freely of his grace. I pray for anyone here today that has never come to Christ as their Savior, that they'd open their heart, that the soil of their heart would be open for the seed of the gospel for them to be saved. I pray for their response of their will to choose Christ, to believe in God, not a religion, not a church, to believe in God and to believe in Jesus Christ. Father, I just I ask you to bless in this time, encourage the hearts of so many that are suffering and hurting, that they may see the great logos, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we ask. Amen. Go and stand to your feet, if you will.
Sweetly bro. 